episode 29. One away from 30. I'm Ken Rakowski in Los Angeles, California, and in Santa Monica, where he runs the titans of uh, crypto and and uh, I don't even know. what. Do you have a title, like a cool title? Nope. Just Nothing. CEO for Opskins and CEO for Wax. So no, I mean, you used to have a really cool jacket, by the way, that's William Quigley. You used to wear this really loud, flashy jacket when you would speak at conferences. You don't even do that anymore. I'm getting old. What can I say? No, but I, but no. I, do, I do wear that jacket. I, it's got chains uh, embroidered into it. So it's kind of cool. Fight blockchain. So, But you're still wearing it, right? I am still wearing it. Just like you're still sporting that hairstyle from 1990. Another perm? It's not a hairstyle. It's a hair fashion. Don't get that wrong. We're here as often as we can to talk about what's going on when it comes to the crypto world and the blockchain space. We are your de facto place to go, and that's it. You can get a hold of us by sending us an email to hello at coindmz.com. And let's just talk about the obvious. What is crypto for? For some reason, everyone thought it was for something else, and they're extremely frustrated because it got up to 20,000 being Bitcoin, and now it's around, it's, I guess it's proper place around 6K, and everyone, I think, forgot what the whole concept of cryptocurrency was for. It was made for what, William? It was made for ordering um, Amazon products, right? No, it was not. No, that's what it wasn't made for. Uh, well, it's a bit presumptuous for us to say what Satoshi had in mind when he invented uh, the Bitcoin blockchain, but I think what you're hinting at is uh, for people who don't have a bank account, don't want a bank account, maybe their country is behind the times in terms of banks, and or maybe they're just afraid. They're in, uh, you know, Venezuela, and they're afraid that their uh, um, their bank deposits will be seized. That is one of the big advantages of holding some sort of assets in a blockchain because no one can take them from you, right? They're always yours. They're, it's true ownership of those items versus a bank account where you can deposit the money really easy when you want to withdraw it. The bank asks you all kinds of questions about why you want your own money. So the unbanked in this world, all the people who don't have bank accounts because they maybe can't get them, there's a couple of billion people who don't have them, some can't get them, uh, they live in places where bank accounts are hard to come by, and some don't trust the banking network where they live, uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchain are wonderful inventions. Well, let's say let's say crypto, because blockchain's a bit separate than that. I mean, that's the underlining technology to allow it to happen. It's crypto. And if anything, William, the companies or organizations that are quite concerned about this really exploding would be the remittance companies, right? Yes. What's a remittance, Ken? Did I say it wrong? No. Did it, but what is I said remittance? it right. Hey, Western Union, company that allows you to transfer money from one point to another, taking massive fees throughout the process. They might accumulate. I heard a number, and it might be an older number, but it was like a half a trillion dollars in remittance a year. Is that accurate? That is a figure that's probably four years old, so I assume it's bigger. And the way I would define remittance, it's people who send money to their friends or family 
in another country. They come mm -hmm. to one country as an immigrant, they work there, and then they want to send money back to the home country. And uh, we call that remittance. And uh, yeah, I, I have heard, it's about a four-year-old figure, that it was about 500 billion USD is uh, sent, remittance money is sent each year, and there are about $50 billion in fees that the people who send it have to pay. So the organizations like Western Union would be a group that feels extremely hostile towards anything that takes away their business, being Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. Yeah, although I, to be fair, I don't know what Western Union's official position is on on crypto or or, or uh, Bitcoin. Uh, I don't know, but for sure, if you are a financial institution making a lot of money by your clients sending money cross-border, um, you would prefer not to have competition. Mm, makes sense. So he's William, I'm Ken. We're here, hopefully there to help you out, describe what's going on in the industry. We've been traveling a lot because I've get, been getting a lot of email from people saying, where is the latest episode of CoinDMZ? William's on one part of the world, I'm on another part of the world. It has been a bit difficult. One of the biggest problems is since I'm the one who captures the show, I was in countries that actually had poor connectivity, and one was Russia. Internally, it was good, meaning I was able to uh, surf the web in most respects, but I was having a really difficult time doing audio over the web which of course it's maybe because it was Russia. I don't know, but we'll talk about that. Hey, when we come back, we'll look at why Singapore is doing more ICOs in the United States. We'll look at what's going on with blockchain in the semiconductor industry. We'll look at what's happening with financial executives saying, hey, we like what's going on with crypto. Wyoming is saying maybe we're gonna become the blockchain friendly state, who knows? And we'll look at the ATMs when it comes to Bitcoin. He's William Quigley. I'm Ken Rakowski. This is episode 29 of Coin DMZ. Coin DMZ episode 29. We're here to help you with understand what's going on with the blockchain crypto space. He is with Opskins and he is William Quigley. What is Opskins? How do you define that? It's a it's a marketplace that allows people to buy and to sell digital items. Think of it as eBay for digital items, digital images. But that's not what it was initially known for, right? It was initially known for skins in the gaming community. Well, that and that's what I'm referring to, but I figured the audience wouldn't know what skins were. Skins are, are um, digital images, like photographs, um, of, of video game uh, items. We call virtual items. Virtual swords, virtual shields virtual gloves and hats that you would use in a video game. There's lots of people who uh, buy those and then resell them or they collect them. And so they come to Opskins in order to see what what's available, what they can buy and what they can sell. So I know you saw and I saw Ready Player One, which came out earlier in the year. And inside there, they had all these assets and they had currency inside there. They had different lives. Of course, it was a, a, a depiction of this future. Do you think Ready Player One is something that could really legitimately happen? I think just like we all joke about Star Trek, but now many of the uh, inventions that were used in Star Trek are around. 
I think uh, Ready Player One is a not uh, like unreasonable uh, possibility of what mm. video gaming will be like in 30 years. Wow. Okay. And from watching Ready Player One, do you think what Steven Spielberg captured from the book, he identified any in interesting trends that you actually see happening now? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people live in the stacks in Ohio, you know? <laughs> and uh, No, really, honestly, was there any... <laughs> you're funny, William. I think you're funny, at least. Good, thank you. Um, uh, there's lots of things in there. There's marketplaces in Ready Player One. You, you'll notice that in the virtual world that they call the Oasis, which is the game environment that these people um, interact in, there are stores that people go into and they buy virtual items that they can use in their virtual world. And uh, by the way, that it's not in virtual reality, but the idea of buying virtual items that you can then use in a game that already exists. And mm -hmm. uh, there's not a virtual world that's as massive and as that, as cool as the one in Ready Player One. But there are many, many virtual uh, reality worlds uh, that uh, people play in. They Again, they're not as cool as Ready Player One, but they're there, you know? So it's, um, Ready Player One is not a distant vision of, of, of the future. It takes a lot of what is usable today or doable today, and it just enhances it with, you know, sometime in the near future sort of uh, uh, idea. So Ready Player One will be a reality um, uh, at some point. I just don't know, you know, how when the new semiconductors and graphics engines are going to be developed, but it, it's not a hundred years away. It's maybe 25 to 30 years away. Oh, okay. Got it. But you're saying it is predicated on technology to allow us to go in that direction. Totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. There you go. And uh, if you look at digital assets, those have been around for the longest time. If you go back to World of Warcraft and games like that, there were stores inside those games that sold assets for people to buy. So we've been doing this, what, for 15 years, 20 years? Yeah, uh, I would say uh, uh, longer than that, actually, you know, 25 years. Yeah, I got to tell you, I have not been able to resell any of these assets. I bought really cool Michael Jackson gloves in Leisure Suit Larry in the Land of Lounge Lizards, oh, yeah. but there's no secondary market for those. So what do I do with that? Well, if there's no secondary market, you you can't do much. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm just going to sit on them. Maybe one, just one day it's going to pop and people are going to be looking for those Michael Jackson gloves. All right, William, Singapore, which I do love. It is one of my favorite city countries. It's super clean. People are cool. And it's 90 miles away from the equator. So I could shoot to anywhere I want when I'm there. It looks like Singapore is also trying to gun it when it comes to ICOs, initial coin offerings, to where they're trying to say, this is the place to be. Now, you predicted this almost a year ago. You said that Singapore is going to be one of the hottest places when it comes to ICOs. You still feel the same, and why do you think they're grabbing this type of attention? What are they doing differently than everywhere else? Well, I mean, for one thing, Singapore is, is uh, not openly hostile to crypto. Right, not openly hostile to blockchain. I think Singapore is—it's like Israel, 
Finland, some of these other countries that uh, are not huge countries. So if they are going to attract the next generation of technology creators, they've got to put out a welcoming mat. They can't just uh, sit by kind of indifferently like bigger company countries can. So Singapore has made it pretty clear that they think blockchain technology is important and uh, they're trying to draft legislation that will make uh, the path very clear to how you register an ICO and how you sell the ICO. Hmm. You know, if you look at, let's say, the United States, Singapore, UK, Russia, and Switzerland, uh, and you go back, let's say, about a year, uh, you could really see where the United States topped it. I mean, topped off around February of this year with the amount of ICOs being launched. And then all of a sudden, you could see there is a constant downside to almost every country except Singapore. And it looks like Switzerland is bouncing back up too. small countries where I guess there's more tighter regulation, but more control to really watch the oversight of what's going on. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting. Again, Singapore and Switzerland. Watch what happens with those two. They're both on the rise. Hey, let's talk about the adoption of blockchain in different industries. So when we talk about blockchain, I think we've touched upon it. Some people kind of slammed you for oversimplifying it, but I think it is as simple as this. It's uh, Ashton Tate data, DB1, DB2, DB whatever, any database system that is centralized or, excuse me, decentralized and um, you can't erase it. It's simple as this. Everyone's going to come down on me also saying, oh, you oversimplified it. Blockchain is so much more. It's just a progression of a bad, better database system. That's right. Did I did I oversimplify it too? No, I mean, you know, we're, we're trying to uh, remove the hype factor, right? So yes. we, we can talk about it in these glowing terms, but it is a database. It's a database with special properties uh, it's uneditable, and the records of that database are easy to, to see. They're public. Um, you can't manipulate them. Those are very powerful properties, but it's a database nonetheless. You know, don't, I think a lot of people talk about, quote, blockchain technology as though it's some futuristic thing, but it's, it's not hard to grasp. It's a special type of database. That's it. That's it, everyone. And they're going to, oh, it's refutable. It's decentralized. Okay. Those well, are just. Those uh, are some of the special properties for sure. Exactly. That's all those things are, but it's still a database property or a system. And by the way, industries are realizing to make sure they have one of a kind or to serialize something so it has complete trackability. Blockchain or the next iteration of a database system works really well. Uh, so first, we're going to talk about the. Um, the semiconductor industry. You got to understand when you look at a computer or anything that has tons of technology in it, it has different chips in there that need to be serialized with a specific address to know that one, it's authentic, it's real, or to track it. Blockchain works great in that space, right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Many different industries are going to adopt it. The financial industry, the supply chain management, for sure. The, uh, the um, travel industry, uh, digital escrowing, and uh, semiconductors. Already semiconductors sort of got uh, dragged into blockchain because people started to 
use specialized semiconductors, what we call ASICs, which are specialized to just do one thing, and that one thing is to mine, let's say, Bitcoin. Uh, so the semiconductor industry is um, aware of blockchain. Uh, I think it's pretty excited about it. And I think a lot of the executives in the semiconductor industry see it as a growth vector for their industry. Okay. I've uh, talked to a few people in uh, the that represent artists, and I'm not talking about musical artists, but actually artists that do paintings and portraits, and they want to use blockchain in that space to say, hey, this is authentic, this is real, this is not a copy, because they want to use it as a way to identify that specific artist. Because there's a ton of copies out there. By utilizing blockchain, then, of course, you'll have less uh, um, uh, fakes that are floating around out there. Yeah. Makes sense, right? Yes, that's for sure. It is any any time you have a um, one-of-a-kind item in a digital form and you want to make sure that there are no copies of that item, you want to make sure that that item, uh, if it's traded to another person, the other person absolutely knows it's genuine, right? It hasn't been counterfeited. Blockchain is a perfect application in that in that area. So theoretically, William, could we all be blockchained as humans? Well, I suppose you could take your uh, your uh, your genome and all the data in that genome, and you could put it in a blockchain. Because remember, a blockchain is just a database. Sure. So you could store your genome uh, in okay. a database. You know, one of the best applications of blockchain, I think, is identity management. Uh, I actually Explain. think it's it's on maybe the other than the creation of money, it maybe is the perfect blockchain application. Because where do you feel like storing your personal credentials, Can your social security number, your, your driver's license number, your date of birth, your mother's maiden name, your address, all of that stuff. You don't feel comfortable, most people don't, giving that information to corporations because they don't safeguard it. And then it gets stolen and bad guys hijack your identity, right? It's mm -hmm. bad. So uh, there's a lot of, of interest in, in putting all of your important personal identifying information in the secure blockchain, whichever one it is, the Bitcoin blockchain or EOS or Ethereum or another one, and saying, hey, any company that wants my information, it can just tap into that blockchain where I give it temporary access, but that information is never stored by these other companies that want that information. You know, you're traveling and somewhere and the airline needs a bunch of info. They would just have an API that would, would grab your personal identifying information, make sure that it is all encrypted and secure and say, okay, we've verified who you are. That's a great application for the blockchain because we, I think most of us now realize handing out all that information to random websites it's not safe. This is not one clear de facto solution moving forward. There are other technologies than blockchain and maybe your digital passport in the future or passport might have one of those technologies. So, hey, William, we know that roller coaster ride of Bitcoin going up and then going down. And a lot of people in the financial industry poo pooed the idea of cryptocurrency saying, ah, yeah, right. It's not real. You don't want to touch it. Now that we've had some type of stagnation, and it's been positive because I think as well as you do that 
things like Bitcoin are where they should be. You know, they're not overhyped. They're 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 leveled and more steady. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Which means is people in different industries that are related to money are starting to see some stability. And with that stability, they're not doubting the overhypeness of what crypto is. That's true. And if you're talking about the finance industry, I yeah. assume. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I mean, the finance industry, I'd say, was initially quite cautious about it some of that was because the regulations weren't clear they still aren't but they also see uh, how efficient uh, blockchain based systems can be compared to their old antiquated uh, banking networks so now you can't upgrade all of these banks at once you know there's just so much old software and old networks created but I think in the next 10 years, you'll see a lot of interbank transactions being um, passed through blockchain-based networks as opposed to the old, uh, like, SWIFT networks, which is used for cross-border transactions. According to a study that came out, it suggested about 70% of financial executives believe that crypto is here to stay. But like William said... There's regulations that's needed. They don't doubt it, but they do feel like it's still one of those skeptical uh, investments. Not many, but they do admit it's there. Hey, you mentioned something a while ago regarding how different countries that are trying to amplify their, their viability for survival, they will do things like in the past of either being a tax haven uh, or they would do things around uh, next generation banking, like uh, the island of New Jersey uh, or Nehru. What's that? Jersey. Yeah. Jersey. Oh, it's just Jersey. Got it. Island of Man. That's it. Island of Man. I apologize. But those were there because they really couldn't generate business in any other way other than creating this next generation type of banking, correct? Yes. So when we look at Wyoming, as in the state of Wyoming, north of Colorado, one, it's becoming a very interesting state for people that are incorporating. Uh, I have a ton of Wyoming corporations. I'm not sure. Do you? Yeah, no, I've heard that Wyoming is a great place to uh, to incorporate, right? It's like the new Delaware where a lot of people incorporate their businesses. Yeah, it's incredible what you can do with a Wyoming corp that you can't do with other state corps. But Wyoming is saying... We're not just about uh, beautiful wildlife. We want to make sure that whatever the next generation of banking is, and if it is blockchain-based banking, we want to be that friendly state for that. So Wyoming is trying to be very progressive when it comes to technology. And again, because they don't have other industries other than wind farming, and I believe they have oil, there's not much going on there. This is their way of tracking more attention, right? Yeah, I think so. It's... uh... It's also uh, uh, indicative of the fact that you know blockchain-based companies, these are digital businesses. You don't need access to a port, so you don't need to be on the coast. Uh, you don't need to be near big uh, you know, centers of, uh, of distribution hubs like you know, Shanghai or, or in the United States, you know, Michigan or, or, or Memphis, Tennessee. It's just these are purely digital businesses. 
And uh, Wyoming is progressive, but also remember Wyoming is a is a very small state from a from a population standpoint. It's much easier to make things happen in a smaller, you know, in a city versus a national government. And so um, Wyoming has decided. The legislators have decided there. Hey, we should be an attractive place for. Uh, blockchain-based companies to incorporate. And I can tell you, many people in the United States think of Wyoming as the best place to set up their crypto company. So wow. it's, it's definitely working. Okay. Last story. I put this in here because I know you dabbled in this spot, didn't you? I mean, what are you referring to? The uh, ATM business? Yeah, the kiosk business. Yeah, yeah, I did. I uh, I think Bitcoin ATMs provide a uh, a very useful uh, product for particularly for people who uh, don't want to try to get money from one country to another. It could take days to weeks, depending on where you are. But the ability to um, acquire cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and others from an ATM or to sell it is, uh, is really powerful. And um, the Bitcoin ATM business began shortly after, you know, Bitcoin was invented. I think the first one was 2012 or 2013. And now there are many thousands of uh, cryptocurrency ATMs. They are, uh, I think they're, they're here to stay and they're going to be growing. Yeah, the United States, Japan, China, India, all the uh, places you would expect it. They're saying a price is around 4000 bucks per each one. Does that sound about right? I think it varies greatly. So, I think it varies greatly. You can get them a little cheaper, and some are, you know, 15000 USD. Yeah, so when somebody goes to an ATM that does Bitcoin, what should they look at to make sure it's legitimate? What certain things did you learn that are really important in a really good ATM? Well, it's that's I, I it would be impossible for me to say everything on this call because it's just not long enough for this podcast. But uh, um, uh, there's lots of apps that you can download that will indicate where uh, crypto ATMs are located, and so. You know, if you see a crypto ATM in a place that doesn't seem to be recognized by any of the standard apps, you might be you might be a little bit like suspicious. It's true. But here in the States, every ATM I've seen, they ask for some type of legitimacy, either your your passport or driver's license before you could do any form of exchange. Yeah. When I, and that makes sense because of the. Uh, know your customer rules what we call kyc which are the you know banking rules that that uh, are requirements in most countries if you want to transact in the banking network the bank has to know who you are but when i but william but when i travel outside the united states i don't see that yeah it's it's uh in the in the countries that or let's say want to do business in the United States, so they have to abide by U.S. Uh, standards uh, of uh, money laundering, let's say anti-money laundering provisions, they do require that. But uh, yeah, there's clearly countries that, that don't. Um, but uh, for most of us, you know, we've got some form of ID that's easy to present, and, uh, and then you can use the ATMs. 
So William and I are here every, well, we try to do every single week. Hello, H-E-L-L-O at CoinDMZ. That's where you send email. And we get lots of email. And this is where we read it, right here on the mailbag. So we have three letters. They're very internationally. At least uh, I, the first one. You want to try that first one? Sure. It's Benji from Cartagena, Colombia. And he says, I run multiple fashion events in both Cartagena and uh, Bogota, attracting about 3,500 attendees. That's pretty good, by the way, Benji. Um, a few experts tell me that I should start accepting cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and others, and that it would enhance my ticket sales. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts, Ken? (laughs) Um, Okay, let me tell you around the organization you and I are members of called Metal. We have had about four or 5% of our members pay with Ethereum. Okay. Okay. That's not bad. So that's that's four or five percent in the United States that said yes, but we are a very uh, crypto heavy group. I don't know what Colombia is when it comes to altcoins and altcoin utilization. Is it hard to add a way to accept crypto uh, on the spot? Is there? No, it's does, not hard. It's not hard. So it's easy. It's you an can, easy good. You can use. Okay. Um, uh, one company that I'm involved with called GoCoin. With GoCoin, if you're a vendor, you can install their uh, uh, API, which will allow people to, instead of depositing a credit card, uh, they can deposit uh, cryptocurrencies. So um, uh, there's others as well that are out there. Uh, just they call them like crypto payment processing companies. So it's not hard to do. Uh, what I would tell you is, is it going to be worth your time? And uh, I guess I'd want to know how many of the attendees of your conference are international, I meaning they're not in Colombia. Because mm-hmm. when people have to send money uh, cross-border, the fees are high and it's slow. It's a slow way to send money. So it would be, I think, important to figure that out. Most of the people uh, who are in Colombia, I assume, will just use whatever they normally use as a payment because it's more convenient. Crypto is convenient or is is useful when uh, it's either a cross-border payment or um, let's say you, Benji, aren't sure you want to take a credit card from somebody outside of Bogota because it could be a stolen credit card. In that case, crypto is very useful because uh, the transaction can't be reversed, unlike a stolen credit card. Once somebody sends you a certain amount of Bitcoin or Ethereum, they can never reverse that. Uh, We call that not charge backable. And that's powerful. So figure that part out first uh, to decide if you should accept it. All right. I'll grab the next one. This is coming from Mikkel. I think it's Mikkel uh, from Moscow. Ken, it was an honor seeing you speak at the second Congress of the, I couldn't pronounce it even when I was there, uh, the Decentral Trillion in Moscow. Hey, I wanted to speak to you, but there was a queue of people, uh, w- there was a queue of people that was extremely long. I wanted, let's see, I want to know if my government would place legal charges 
on me if I use crypto instead of the country's currency, the ruble. Why ask this? It's written like a Russian, by the way. Uh, I can buy more online with Bitcoin than a ruble, and I don't feel limited. Okay. I don't know. There's credit cards in Russia, so you could use a credit card. Um, I, I know people that use Bitcoin and crypto in Russia. I don't know if it's illegal. I don't think it is. If they're doing crypto conferences in Russia, I would assume then that the government is allowing it. I don't know enough about Russia and their currency or their their position on crypto. Do you know, William? I don't know either because uh, governments change their minds a lot. There was a point when uh, Russia uh, banned the use of cryptocurrency, though I think people still used it because it was difficult to enforce. Then I think they relaxed some of those prohibitions, and I don't know what the state of cryptocurrency usage is in Russia right now from a, from a regulatory standpoint. You're not going to get legal charges slapped on you, or could you? Has any countries done that? I think... Uh, Yes, I think, what was the country? It, it might have been Bogota in, in, um, in um, Colombia, South America. Uh, one, there is, uh, oh, Bolivia. I'm sorry, Bolivia. Bolivia, okay. I believe of Bolivia, which is one of the few countries where, where cryptocurrencies are explicitly illegal. Oh, wow. Uh, I okay. believe they have charged people there for buying and selling cryptocurrencies. But in general, you- it's not a... It's not a uh, it's not a prohibited activity that seems to be uh, heavily enforced in most countries. All right, you want to take Erica's email? Sure, Erica from Park City, Utah, a skier. I assume you are. Um, I fear the unpredictable ups and downs of crypto, which makes me want to look into alternative asset instruments instead. Should I focus more on hard assets like gold or silver? Or should I weather the storm, by that I assume you mean the volatility, and hang on to Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies? So uh, that's an easy one. You are, uh, you're looking to make investments, Erica. You're worried about the volatility of cryptocurrencies, and you're looking at some other investment uh, ideas like hard commodity assets, gold, silver, and you're like, maybe that's a better way to go. Here's what I would tell you. Cryptocurrency is very different than than precious metal investing or any other type of commodity for that matter. And therefore, it is going to behave differently. It may be going up when those hard assets are going down and vice versa. So there's a word we use in in, uh, in the investment world uh, called diversification. And uh, that just means don't put all your eggs in one basket. So what I would say is, not knowing your financial situation, um, never put more into any asset category that you're not capable of losing 100% and still being okay. Uh, but it's it's a it's an important thing in any investment portfolio to manage your risk between the things that are really stable but probably won't make you much money and the things that are volatile. They move up and down. And they have the potential to be worth a lot. And for those things, the high volatility ones, just put a small amount of your assets in in those investment categories. I do think owning cryptocurrencies is a an intelligent or uh, 
place and way to invest, but, but be very cautious about how much you put there and be prepared to lose all of it. That's my advice. Well, it's actually kind of like a mutual fund. If you look at a mutual fund, the way it's balanced, they have different 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 types of assets class in there. And if it's managed properly, it does well. You should, of course, have your portfolio the same way. Have it diversified. I remember, William, a long time ago, you and I were talking about a stock and you said, you know what, you should, you were thinking about buying it and I bought it and I did really well with it. It was a company called Priceline. Yeah. And it was it was dirt cheap at the time too. I mean, it actually was near. It was about to be delisted, and I had no transportation stocks in my portfolio back then. And that thing has killed it, by the way. Thank you to you. I even know where we were, by the way, when you said it. It was a bar off of Abbott Kinney. We were hanging out at. I remember so, that, and I remember <laughs> you saying, "I will give you half of what I make." <laughs> I don't remember that. I don't remember that. I'll give you half of all the losses I've made. How about that? I'll give you that. William, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being there. If you want to hunt down William Quigley, you can go to Opskins. How do you spell that? O-P-S-K-I-N-S.com. There you go. And uh, I would highly also just suggest going to their YouTube page. A lot of great content is over there. And uh, there's a great blog. I don't know where it is. There's this gentleman that's actually following you that's doing a blog about skins and crypto and all that. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't, but I'd love to hear. You can tell me. Oh. Send me an email. Yeah, it was, it's really good, actually. He's been to your office. <laughs> He's actually been to your office, William whoever this person is. I have to go dig out, dig it up and we'll talk about it on the next episode. So again, thanks a lot for hanging out with us. Episode 29 and thanks a lot for being part of Coin DMZ. Sorry.